that one of the last bands to release a greatest hits, I feel like, too, of their of their visibility. I mean, yeah, their, know, their, their, their greatest hits album is called Hot Fuzz. Okay, we should just say <laughs> that. 93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today, we're going to be talking about the Killers. They have a new album coming out, or it did come out. It's called Wonderful, Wonderful. It was out on Friday, and I reviewed it for uprocks.com last week. Um, it's not a great record, <laughs> but it's okay. It's kind of an interesting record. It's kind of fun. I don't know. Like, how many good Killers records are there, really? I think there's like one, maybe two. Uh, but they're always fun because they're maybe not so good. I actually did a poll on my Twitter page last week where I asked people, are the killers good, are they terrible, or are they both? And over 50% of people said both. And like over 2,000 people voted. So I think, I'm going to say that's like a scientific survey that I took with that. <laughs> I feel like the consensus on this band is they've, they've done well in the past and they've done not well in the past, but when you have that special killer's alchemy going on, it's because they're not afraid of being terrible. They're, they're, there's, a, there's a certain shamelessness to the killers that uh, when, they, when they pull it off, when there's a catchy anthem, when there's a Mr. Brightside, when there's a someone, somebody told me, when there's a Sam's Town, you know, it's, it's pretty endearing. Um, and I think there's some elements of that on the new record, Wonderful, Wonderful. There's also some elements that are just plain bad, that aren't good. They aren't good because they're bad, they're just bad. I talked about the record with uh, a friend of the podcast, Larry Fitzmorris. He works at Vice. You might have remembered him. He was on a very early episode where we talked about Coldplay. And uh, I think Larry is our go-to correspondent for like embarrassing rock bands. When we're going to be talking about embarrassing rock bands, we call up Larry. So like if we ever do like a Kings of Leon episode, I'll probably call up Larry. Or if we ever do you know, like an Imagine Dragons episode. I'll call up Larry, which by the way, Kings of Leon and Imagine Dragons are, are both discussed in this episode. <laughs> so it's an embarrassment of embarrassing rock bands uh, on this week's Celebration Rock podcast. Uh, but before we get to that conversation, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors for this week, and it is our old friends at SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I use the SeatGeek app myself. I recently bought tickets to see U2 on their Joshua Tree 30th anniversary tour. It was an incredible show. I had really great seats, and it was super easy to buy. And Look, I know a lot of you out there, you're like me, you go to a lot of shows, so why not make it easy on yourself? Um, and I've got a special deal for you because you're a listener of this podcast. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter in the promotion code CELEBRATION and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, just get the app, punch in CELEBRATION, you get $20 off. Now, this is a deal for you because you're my listeners and I love you guys. I know you're going to buy tickets anyway, so why not take advantage of this deal? Again... SeatGeek app, celebration, $20 off. Okay, so me and Larry, we talked about the new Killers record. We talked about old Killers records. We talked about this band's legacy. We speculate on whether the Killers might be done pretty soon. I mean, it, on this upcoming tour that, the, that they're going to be doing, 
Uh, it's just going to be Brandon Flowers and, Ran- and Ronnie Venucci, the drummer. The guitarist and bass player are, are not going to be involved. Apparently, they're still in the band, but they don't want to tour anymore. I don't know. Usually, that's not a great sign for a band, <laughs> especially if you've been around for a while. And now band members are like, hey, I'd rather hang out with my kids than you know, play for people. That's not, usually not a good sign. So anyway, we speculate on that. And uh, we also talked about some other bands as well. So we had a good time. I think you'll enjoy it. Here's me and Larry talking about the killers. Larry, I wanted to have you on the podcast because I know you recently talked to Brandon Flowers and is it Ronnie Venucci? Is that how you say yes, his name? It is. Ronnie yeah. Venucci. You, you talked to those guys recently about the record and I read your piece and it, and it was good. And you know, there was that little pull quote from there where he talked about how no one is, no one right now is as good as Interpol. So that's why rock music <laughs> right. sucks right now or something, whatever. Um, what was your impression talking to those guys in terms of this record? I mean, do you feel, I mean, cause it's kind of a weird time for them. I mean, the, the bass player and the guitar player are like still in the band, I guess, but like, they're not going to be touring with the killers. You know, they're sort of at this point in their career where they're, you know, they can still play arenas, but you know, we're not quite sure where they're at artistically. What was your impression talking to those guys? And how do you think they feel about the, the killers, the state of the killers right now? Yeah, I got I got the impression they're pretty dispassionate uh, about the state of the killers. I mean, you know, it was interesting. They didn't seem to have a ton to say beyond, you know, obviously, uh, you know, this worked with Jack Knife Lee on the record. Um, so, you know, they had a little bit to say about that. And uh, kind of just this one was harder to make. Apparently, uh, you know, it's the longest gap in between killers records of uh, any record they've made. That was... Uh, I think Battle Born came out in 2012. So it's been five years since uh, they put out a killer's record. So, you know, when I asked them why that is, they were very kind of noncommittal and coy, kind of just hinting that there were external reasons that, you know, they didn't really feel like talking about, or internal reasons, rather. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how they feel about the state of the killers, other than they don't seem to be too interested in being a band much longer, I don't think. So, I mean, do you think that this could be the end for them, this record? Well, I, mean, I mean, I was looking at the discography in this fifth studio album. They put out a B-Sides compilation. They put out a Greatest Hits. So, you know, if you consider those numbers, I mean, a lot of... You can correct me if I'm wrong here because I know you know a lot about this stuff, but the typically, you know, bands will sign like seven album contracts with major labels uh, sometimes. And I feel like this is the end of their contracts, probably. So it, would there be incentive for them to make another album beyond the fact that they still make a lot of money touring? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that at this point in their career, I just wonder like how much a new album is adding to their, not just their legacy, but you know, like you said, they make a lot of money on the road. Are people going to be buying tickets to because they want to hear the man live? Or because they mm-hmm. want to hear, you know, the new songs live. Or I mean, I feel like the Killers at this point um, could stop making albums and still tour every two or three years. Like if Brandon and Ronnie Vanucci, is it? It's Ronnie Vanucci Jr., right? Isn't there a Junior? Yeah, at the end Junior. Of it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I want to get the whole name correctly. Correct. Um, I mean, I just feel like they, you know, they could be like, okay, 2020, we're gonna play, you know, Coachella, and we'll just do Hot Fuzz, you know, 15th anniversary of Hot Fuzz or whatever. Right, right, you know, right. And, and that would be sufficient. I think people would be happy with that. I don't. I wonder what if there's still a demand out there uh, for New um, Killers records. 
Well, yeah, it's funny because Mr. Brightside apparently for like the last 10 years or so hasn't left the UK pop charts. It's still on there. Right. Um, it takes maybe a few weeks off every so couple of years, but, you know, I think that kind of says it all about what people are interested in when it comes to the killers. I mean, they've always been, you know, they've always been a singles band too, really. Like even their, what I think is their best record, which is Day and Age from 2008. Uh, even that kind of is still kind of a top heavy album that kind of peters out <laughs> near the end. So, you know, like you could say like, yeah, you know, this record ends with this, the new, the new one, uh, it ends with a song called, you know, have, have all the songs already been written. And, you know, I think like the kind of like, it's, it's foreshadowing, I think a little bit. It's, it's certainly one way to go out if they, you know, felt the need to stop after this. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is a good segue into talking about the record because I want to talk about legacy of the killers here in a bit, but you know, let's talk about the new album. Wonderful. Wonderful. You mentioned this mm. song, have all the songs been written? Which, you know, that title says it all right there. <laughs> right. And I wonder if that if there's like a meta element to that song, because that song is, is pretty bad. It's like it's a bad <laughs> song. Like there's like Mark, yeah. Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits guest stars on that song. And he's playing these like bluesy licks like, at the beginning of the right. song. And, and like Brandon Flowers, you know, he's very forlorn. And I'm, trying, I'm looking at my notes here for like. Yeah, there's a line in there where he goes, has every ship gone sailing? Has every heart gone blue? You know, there's like lots of these sorts of, you know, these sort of rhetorical questions, very philosophical. And then, of course, at the end of the song, there's this sort of choir, you know, that kind of comes out and the drums come in and it's this very sort of uplifting song. And I guess the implication at the end of the song is that no, not all the songs have been written because we are still going to battle on. Or Although maybe not, as you're saying, maybe this is sort of foreshadowing saying, hey, Actually, all the songs have been written and were finished after this record. Um, what's your take on this record overall? Do you think this is a good record? Is it a bad record? Uh, somewhere in between, what do you think? I mean, my, my instinct uh, after listening to this a few times and going through the other records was this is like probably de facto like the worst Killers album. Even worse um, than Battleborn, you think? The last one before this? Well, it's, I mean, I think it's tough. I think Battleborn is bad in a way where... You know, it's kind of like, I almost think of it as kind of an analog to Coldplay's X and Y, where it's a band really, like, hammering away at, you know, one or two things they're known for ad nauseum. Um, whereas this, to me, I think, you know, maybe to continue with the Coldplay analogies, is almost like their head full of dreams, where, you know, it's experimental-ish for them. Uh, it hits upon a few kind of big pop sounds, it's, largely kind of more electronic textures than what we're used to from them. But it's, it's a different kind of awfulness in that way because, you know, with Battleborn, it, you really got the sense they were going through the motions. And with this one, you know, there's this kind of halfway of like, well, you know, some songs sound very, you know, old and retreaded, like Run For Cover. The, the, one of the singles on this album is actually a demo that they unearthed from nearly a decade ago, which I think is one of the best songs on the record, you know, has been sitting in their inbox for a decade. I think that's a bad sign. Um, but the stuff where they really go for it, you know, save for the man, which I really like, uh, tends, tends to fall flat in kind of like an embarrassing, kind of like slow, sludgy way, you know? So 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's more fun to call a record like this their worst record than something like Battleborn because, you know, Battleborn was just boring, whereas this is kind of like, almost like a, 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 an embarrassment of embarrassment, a, rich, a riches of embarrassment. <laughs> or, again, maybe there's the meta quality to this record where they called it Wonderful Wonderful and it's actually not... It's the opposite. Like they're, be, like they're sort of ironically telling, calling this album wonderful. See, the thing with the killers, and you and I, you know, we talked about this before the podcast, you know, there's always this thing with them where, you know, you don't think of the killers, you know, eliciting passionate responses from people. But when I talk to music fans, like I find that people are either really passionate about the killers being good or they're passionate about the killers being terrible. When in fact, I think the truth is, is that when they're good, it's because they're terrible in a certain mm. kind of way, or that they're not afraid to be terrible. Like the song, like all these things that I've done, might, might be my favorite killer song. And there's so many potentially embarrassing things in that song, you know, where again, you have the, the, the choir that comes in at the end and the whole, you know, I, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier, that whole you know chorus in that song. Mm. Um, there's so many things you can make fun of about that song. And yet, um, if you give yourself over to it, it's this incredible piece of ear candy. You know, it's irresistible. Like I, I right. it's so uplifting. You know, the song uh, uh, "When We Were Young" from Sam's Town, I think, has the same thing. Like the lines in that song, it just sounds like you know, bring like Bruce Springsteen parody. Like you know, "Born yeah. to Run," like very purple lyrics about like riding on the back of a hurricane and all that kind of stuff. And yet, again. If you turn off the critical part of your brain, it's an exhilarating song. It totally works for what it is. And, you know, you mentioned The Man. <laughs> and again, The Man was the lead single from this record. And it was the first song that The Killers put out, I think, in five years. And, mm. you know, you just talked about how bad it was. And I feel like the general consensus is that song is terrible. I surprisingly do not hate that song. And I think no, it's because I of the... Love it too. Actually, yeah. And it's because of the awfulness of it. It's the yeah. it's it's the shameless kind of. Like, and you, it, I think if you see the video too, Brandon Flowers. I mean, the, the joke of the video is that Brandon Flowers is you know he, he's in a couple different guises. He's wearing a tuxedo. He's wearing like a cowboy outfit. He's wearing you know it's this idea that he's he's posing as a cool guy, and then at the end he ends up being a loser. Like that's the punchline mm. at the end of the video, which is a very sort of apropos metaphor for the killers, I think, and that there's a lot of puffing up of, of, of chess in their music and a lot of bravado. <laughs> and they often come up short. But to me, as much as they fail, that's always been what's kind of lovable about them to me, that like, wow, these guys are like kind of deluded and they have a lot of bad ideas, but there's so much conviction in their ideas um, that I can't hate them. It's, it's sort of lovable to see them kind of go out again and again. And the man is this sort of, you know, you know, we talk about so many rock bands like trying to, you know, sort of experiment with dance music and, and trying to get funky. Like that was the whole kind of arcade fire thing on their last record. Sure. And that's what the killers are doing on that song. But to me, it's much more appealing, even if it's like maybe more sort of botched yeah. in execution. There, there's something more lovable about the man to me just in its pure silliness. <laughs> well, they're having fun with it. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned the chess thing, because like to me, I always think when I listen to that song, I kind of think of like a kid at, at, at like the local pool, uh, you know, kissing his biceps in, in front of the <laughs> girls. Like it's very kind of like childish uh, macho bravado that I think 
coming from somebody like Brandon Flowers, who I think is kind of a weird guy. You know, it's pretty appealing. <laughs> you mentioned the you mentioned like the good being terrible thing, and or good because they're terrible. And you know, an, an analog I've always thought of when I think of the Killers is Weezer, um, another band who you know I think everybody's always kind of been like. You know, should we take these people seriously? Like, like, <laughs> like, what's what's going on with them? And you know, they, you know, they also made their sophomore album was a an ambitious flop uh, commercially, and so was Sam's Town. So there's some parallels there, but I think the big difference is that you know Weezer, who, in my opinion, are probably doing some of the best work of their career these days. Um, you know, they learn to own their silliness and their ridiculousness and. You know, they, they know that they're basically three steps above OK Go at this point when it comes to, you know, rock music. Whereas the Killers, I think there's something in there where they really want to be taken seriously still. Right. And that's why kind of you get these, you know, The Man is such a fun song. And Run for Cover is like this nice, like thrilling slice of rock music. And it's like if they made an entire album of that stuff, you know, where they weren't taking themselves seriously, they were having a good time. And as I said before, the closest they came to that was day and age where they had somebody like Stuart Price, who's, you know, very well versed in having a good time uh, in music to guide them along and help them let their hair down. But, you know, there's that encroaching seriousness, that modeling, you know, atmosphere that keeps sinking back in with this record that I think ultimately just kind of tanks it. See, I, I, by the way, I like the fact that you're stumping for day and age because I feel like with the killers... It's always about hot fuzz, and then you get the sort of Samstown truthers who say, no, Samstown is actually the better killer's record. But you're actually one-upping the Samstown truthers <laughs> and going to day and age. I, 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 I respect that. I don't agree, but I appreciate that you're making this argument. I mean, because to me... I was listening to it again before we hopped on the phone. I was like, this record is amazing. It's very, very good for them. What's that song? The, was it like the, like the Dusty Town Fairy Tale? What? Oh yeah, Dust Town Fairy Tale. That was not so good. <laughs> Which is, uh, I mean, that that title alone is is magnificent. I mean, that that that's so good. Okay, there's going to be more killers talk here in a moment with me and Larry. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about another sponsor for this week, and it is Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With Zip Recruiter, you can post your job up to 100 job sites with just one click. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one days. That's right. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-find dashboard. Now, find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by all businesses at all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration. One more time, it's ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration. All right, here's me and Larry talking more about the killers. I mean, this record, you know, it's weird talking to you about it because I, I tend to agree with you that it is maybe the worst killers record, or at least it's in the running with Battleborn as... Um, as the worst, but talking about it is so much fun. Like I think about the song, the, the calling for instance, which opens up with this monologue by Woody Harrelson, who's quoting from the book of Matthew. 
you know, it's like, how can you say that without getting a smile on your face? You know? you yeah, can, no, totally. Although like when you actually listen to it, it is a little like, oh my God, this, this isn't really working. But to talk about it is really entertaining. Also, you know, one song I think I, I legitimately do like, even though it made me roll my eyes when I saw it in the track listings, is the song Tyson versus Douglas. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, which is a song referencing the boxing match, famous match between Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas from 1990 when Buster Douglas uh, defeated Mike Tyson, who was the heavyweight champion of the world at that time. It's one of the great upsets in sports history. Um, and... Brandon Flowers uses this battle, I guess, as a metaphor for his own, I guess, sense of, I guess, fear that he will be lowered in the eyes of his kids someday. I think he said that in an interview that like he he doesn't want to go down like Mike Tyson uh, did. And there's a line in the chorus where he says, I had to close my eyes just to stop the tears when he saw Mike Tyson get knocked out, which I, play, I just want to imagine Brent, young Brandon Flowers crying right. when Mike Tyson lost. I, for some reason, I don't think that actually happened. But I no, like, probably not. I like that he went for it <laughs> in there. You know, and I want, to, I want to maybe talk a little bit more about your interview too, but like in a lot of the interviews I've read with Flowers on this album cycle, he's talking a lot about legacy of the killers and like what, how this band will be remembered. Um, which, again, might be another clue maybe that this band is winding down. You know, who knows? But, um, you know, it reminded me of the types of things that Bono tends to say whenever there's a new U2 album. You know, Bono tends to also be very reflexive about his own, st- his own place in rock history and, like, what does U2 mean and what can a U2 record do in the culture? And Brandon Flowers takes on that same kind of thing when he talks about Killers records, even though... I mean, we could. I mean, U two records aren't what they used to be, but Killers records certainly aren't what they used to be. Um, but you know, what what would you say is this band's legacy? You know, because again, I tend to look at them as sort of like a second tier band, but I know that there are a lot of people that really think the Killers are like one of the great or important rock bands of the twenty first century. Uh, so there is sort of a disparity there, I think, in maybe how they're perceive critically and how they're perceived like in sort of the popular you know around rock fans like what do you think like how if they broke up tomorrow how should they be discussed well, i mean you know it's funny because tom Bryan, i think uh sometime in like 2010 or 2011 he wrote something for pitchfork where he said that you know the killers were one of the last bands period that you could conceivably say like you know they could have a greatest hits and I think in, they eventually released the greatest sets. Um, and they're one of the last bands to release the greatest sets, I feel like, too, of their, of their visibility. I mean, yeah, their, know, gra- their, their, their greatest hits album is called Hot Fuzz. Okay, we should just say that. <laughs> Maybe you can have an EP of the other albums. I'm sorry, but like, you just need to no, buy the I first record, really. But anyway, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Continue. No, no, no. I mean, but that's, that's a good point. I mean, there are, there are bands kind of hobbled by, uh, I think, memories of, their their debut, which it really is just a memory to me, I think, and for a lot of people, I think that Hot Fuzz or any Killers album has never been good in the sense that we consider albums to be good. Uh, I think the only people who talk about Killers albums are music critics because, you know, honestly, they're a singles band. They've always been a singles band, and I, I would I think it'd be a really interesting experiment to ask, you know, normal festival-going people to name a song off of Battleborn, 
or this record for that matter. Right. Um, I think I think they'd have a hard time, and that's fine. You know, I don't like something that always that stood out to me with the Killers compared to you know the so-called contemporaries, which I think there were very few. I, I think honestly, Fallout Boy is closer contemporary to the Killers than the Strokes ever were, but. You know, the Killers didn't have a... The Killers had a look, but it wasn't really indebted to anything that was considered cool at that point. They, they, they kind of looked like Duran Duran, you know? Um, and for, for the record, I think that <clears throat> Interpol ended up being a much better Duran Duran band than the Killers did. But, uh, you know, they were never... There was never any sort of, like, for all of Brandon Flowers, you know, grandstanding and proclamations, I, I never really ever got the sense that they stood for anything. And I still think they don't, which is probably why after, you know, 15 years, they're kind of exhausted. Like, I think he's got some great solo material, and, you know, I think that he'll probably have an interesting, robust solo career where critics will continue to talk about it with platitudes that it slightly doesn't deserve. But beyond that, like, you know, their legacy is going to be the band who did Mr. Brightside, I think, to most people. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think most bands... In, in the last 20 years, would kill to have a song like Mr. Brightside. If you have one at all, you know, you're kind of legends in, in, that, in that way anyway. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to be set up for life because of that song. And, you know, either if, because they're touring or just from royalties from that song. As much as people still make royalties from songs, that, that song, I think, will continue to endure. You know, it's interesting. You brought up Weezer before. Uh, in comparison to The Killers, and that's never been a comparison that, that occurred to me, but I was thinking about it, and I think that there is another parallel in terms of how the images of, those, of both of those bands changed from how they were initially received. Like, I remember when Weezer came out, you know, I loved the Blue Album that came out when I was in high school. And at the time, Weezer was perceived to be this sort of goofy, lighthearted counterpoint to what was going on in grunge at the time. You know, like grunge was very serious and it was very... Um, uh, you know, down and depressing. And, and Weezer was, you know, the songs were funny and they were kind of goofy. And even when they put out Pinkerton, you know, that record too was also, at least to me and my friends, it was sort of like, oh, this is more fun Weezer music. And then, yeah, yeah. And then another generation comes along and, and rediscovers those records. And all of a sudden, Weezer becomes an important touchstone band for a generation of emo bands and groups. And all of a sudden, Pinkerton becomes this sort of, like very kind of angsty, serious record about a guy who, you know, is in love with Japanese girls and like has all these weird traumas and stuff. Right, right. And, 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 that's, and that was in the record to begin with, but I don't feel like at the time people listened to Pinkerton thinking that it was this, you know, sort of angsty record. Um, with The Killers, I remember when Hot Fuzz came out, to me that was a record that like you put on in the car when you were going out to the bars. Like that was like mm -hmm. a party record. And like, if you were into rock records, the killers were just more fun than, you know, the second strokes record or like the white stripes, you know, like those records had their merits, but like if you just wanted sort of hedonistic, fun, catchy rock songs, like the killers record was, it kind of fit the bill, you know? And I do think that, you know, I think you're right in that the Killers are a singles band, but I think Hot Fuzz does still have resonance for people as like a record that, you know, that people bought at a certain time in their lives and they, and they still associate it. Like with, you know, like if you were between the ages of like maybe 18 and 24, 
when that record came out, it has, I think, that kind of resonance for you. Cause oh, it, yeah. Because it was, I think, like a party record for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But then, you totally. know, but then, you know, around the time of Sam's Town, you know, they start growing mustaches and wearing bolo ties and like the iconography of the band changed. They, they hired Anton Corbin, the photographer that shot all those U2 and Depeche Mode photos. And, you know, they're, mm. and, and they're standing in the desert and, you know, <laughs> and they're writing these sort of big songs. And all of a sudden, you know, people start talking about Bruce Springsteen in reference to them. And there was a little bit of U2 talk, I think, with Hot Fuzz, but it really became prominent with Samstown. And all of a sudden... You know, the, the combination of that shift in iconography and the fact that they were like a multi-platinum band, it put them in this new sort of strata of like the next great American rock band. Like that's how they were all of a sudden talked about. Sure. And, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I still really like them in that original guise where they were just making really trashy, catchy pop songs. I think that was always their greatest talent. And when they tried to get grandiose, the, uh, you know, it was more good because it was terrible. Like, that's when it yeah. became good because it was terrible. I mean, that's my take on the killers. Um, and I think you're right. I think Mr. Brightside will probably be how they're defined. Although, in a way, like, couldn't you say that about the White Stripes, too, in a way, that, like, Seven Nation Army is, like, their legacy? Like, if you're just, like, unless you're, if you're not a music critic... Like right. <laughs> Seven Nation Army kind of defines that band. Like it, you kind of like you're kind of lucky if you're a band if you have that one signature song that everybody knows, especially these days. Um, it, you know that doesn't necessarily seem to be like a knock on you if you do have a song like that. You know, Seven Nation Army is a huge song with like EDM crowds now. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. No. It's like so David Guetta for the last couple of years he plays Seven Nation Army in his sets and. I, it's gone. It's gotten to the point where I was actually listening to a Boyd's recording of, uh, I think it was uh, Eric Pride's uh, or Eric Pride's earlier this weekend, and you know, the crowd started singing Seven Nation Army in the like trying to get him to play it. Like, <laughs> so, like, yeah. I mean, I that is kind of their Mr. Brightside. Sorry to go on that tangent, but. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think you're right about Hot Buzz being a record of a certain time, you know. I do think, and this is something that, without opening this can of worms too, too far, uh, Lizzie Goodman's Meet Me in the Bathroom definitely addresses, in a way, I think, you know, there was a time that record came out where, you know, after 9-11, everything going on in America, I think the record-buying public and, you know, young people of a certain age just wanted to have a good time and listen to music. This is a time of misshapes and, you know, indie discos pro pro proliferating in the UK and last night's party and eventually Electro Clash and Bloghouse. It was a very hedonistic, um, ideologically vapid time in music. And, <laughs> you know, what better, what better band than the, than the Killers for that? You know, they kind of were there at the right time and I think when they got serious and I think when they still kind of get serious, everyone's like, you lost me. <laughs> like, you know, play, play Mr. Brightside. And can you, can you blame them? Like, it's better to have a memory of something that was good when things were bad than it is to, I don't know, be forced to swallow some sort of other pretentious self-seriousness, I guess. Okay, guys, we have a little bit more of this conversation to go. But before we continue, I want to tell you about another sponsor for this week's episode. And it is our old friends at Blue Apron. Now, I am a guy, I sometimes have to make 
dinner for my family. And at the end of a long day, that can be hard to do. But with Blue Apron, I know that I could make a great meal and not a lot of time and everyone's going to love it. Now, what happens with Blue Apron is that they send you the ingredients and they tell you how to make it. And it is incredible stuff that they send you. Just get a load of some of the meals that they're going to be offering this week on Blue Apron. You have summer vegetable and egg paninis. You have soy glazed pork and rice cakes. You have skillet chili with cornmeal and cheddar drop biscuits. My goodness, I cannot even say this stuff. It's so fancy and delicious. <laughs> so how do you get going with this? You can check out this week's menu by going to blueapron.com celebration. And you can get your three meals for free. That's right, for free with free shipping if you enter in that promo code. So again, that's blueapron.com slash celebration to get your three free meals with free shipping. Check it out today. All right, here's the rest of my conversation with Larry about the killers. You and I both like the killers, I think. And yeah. At least there's certain eras of them that we like. But, you know, even at, you know, but we're sort of qualifying our like here a little bit. You know, we're, we're sort of talking about the gaudy aspects of what they do and, and enjoying it and all that stuff. I mean... When you get right down to it, like in 20 years, like when there's people going back to the early 2000s and maybe rediscovering these records and they don't have the baggage, are people just going to think that the Killers were better than the Strokes and the White Stripes and the AAS and all those bands? Um, or are they going to be looked at as a joke? Are they going to be looked at as a ripoff band? Because I feel like some, you know, because I feel like now, like if you grew up in that time, there is the perception that the Strokes were sort of like the real thing. Mm-hmm. And that the and that the killers and that and I guess maybe Kings of Leon were sort of like the carpetbaggers who came in late and then ended up being much more popular than the Strokes ever were. Um, but you know, as we know from previous eras in, in in rock history and pop history, that sometimes that it's the carpetbagger bands who are more popular that end up being sort of remembered more fondly by subsequent generations, like because they don't have the baggage that the people at the time had. So. You know, you mentioned the Lizzie Goodman book, um, and, you know, and there's some shots taken at the killers in that book. I mean, wh- where do you think their place is among, I guess, their generation of bands? I mean, you know, for my money, they were a better singles band than The Strokes. And honestly, you can, you know, the, the Strokes were good and all, and, you know, still occasionally write one song that sounds like what they were doing 15 years ago, but... I don't think if you ask, like, you know, it all comes back to kind of a normal person test for me. Like if you ask a normal person, like, you know, name somebody who does not like spend their time on the internet, somebody who just like, you know, their, their experience with music is I hear it on the radio or on Spotify discover. I go buy the album and I go, I go pay money for a concert ticket. I think they'll have, they'd have a lot easier time naming three killers singles than they would naming one strokes single. And you know, like, I think that's that's their legacy. I think they were the single band of that era. Uh, I, 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 you know, even White Stripes, who I, I, I think are obviously a better band <laughs> than The Killers. I mean, I, them too. Like, they have, they have one single. The Killers have, off the dome, like, three or four instantly recognizable songs that people would say, like, oh, I remember that, you know? And uh, that's enough. That's really all you need. That's all you need to play festivals, certainly. Yeah. Uh, when you're a band 20 years out. So, you know, they, they've got that going for them, and I think they probably will continue to have that going for them. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking back to that time, and I'm wondering, like, if you would ask me in 2005, you know, to put a bet on the band that would last longer. I'd, 
I think I would have picked the killers, but I might have picked the bravery. Like I remember in the in the bravery in the bravery the you know in killers face off. Like I liked the bravery record. I thought that was actually a really good record. There's that song an honest mistake that that they're, right, right, right. They're, yeah, that I think I, that's a really good single. Um, I don't think I would have said that, but I kind of like to imagine. <laughs> Right. I think I would have because like the guy from the bravery was obviously a buffoon and I'm like okay this guy's not gonna make it but he's kind of he's kind of fun now um, l- let's talk about killers albums here for a moment I mean we've talked about wonderful wonderful and battleborn being at the end you know at, at, at sort of the bad end of the spectrum and we've talked about hot fuzz I think acknowledge as the best record but then you have Sam's town and you have day and age which is your favorite am I missing one Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's all of them. So yeah, they've had they've had five. So so why so why would you put Day and Age even over Hot Fuzz as your favorite? Like make your case. This is this is going to be an historic thing. You you could turn the tide in Killer's discourse here. So so make your case for why that's the best record. Well, I mean, you know, I think you know, I think Hot Fuzz sounds like a, a young band that has you know their best ideas up front and you know, definitely has something to prove. And I think Samstown is a band trying to prove too much. And I think Day and Age works for me the best because it's a band, sounds like a band that has decided to kind of relax uh, comparatively and stop trying to prove themselves so much. Uh, and, you know, obviously that old killer's bloat, you know, like the, the first uh, three songs in that record, Losing Catch, Spaceman, and Dancer. And, you know, those are three of their kind of silliest, poppiest signals to me. Like, they, they, they sound like they're having a good time on them, and they're kind of comfortable with these weird pop ideas they're expressing. And I mean, also, I just have a fondness for Stuart Price's production, and he's very, very capable with those kind of sounds, uh, which is why I, I thought about Day and Age when I listened to Wonderful, Wonderful, because you know, it, it sounds to me like that record, and they actually... Ronnie Venucci seemed to be a little offended when I said that this reminded me of Day and Age. Um, <laughs> but there, there is that sparkle missing that, I don't know, it's just, I, I think I'm kind of also drawn to bands that, you know, have this like kind of embarrassing sophomore effort and then kind of just get back to being silly and stupid the third time. Like, that's kind of my, that's kind of my lane, I guess. <laughs> so like, okay, since you are a person that, that frames every band in terms of Coldplay, like what <laughs> would that would that be like their Milo Zalado then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that's a great. I think it's a great way to look at it. Uh, <laughs> you're excited. You're excited. I could tell you're excited about this. <laughs> well, I, well, to that point too, I think the killer's greatest failing is they never had a Viva La Vida. <laughs> so when you say like like a like, like sort of like a reboot record, like a record that kind of reinvents them and. Yeah, reboot that like they, they almost skipped the Viva La Vida phase with Day and Age because Viva La Vida is to me an album where you know like you know after pretty much losing any semblance of so-called indie cred they might have, might have gained in the early 2000s with Parachutes and Rush of Blood you know they go back to making kind of a very serious artistically you know sterling effort with you know, they got, they bring Brian Eno in, they lock Chris Martin out of the studio, and, you know, they come, come out with what is, like, probably to date, like, their best record that kind of mixes that, like, seriousness, that silliness perfectly, and 
you know, the Killers could never quite achieve that mix. They can do whatever serious is silly. And day and age is the silliest. And I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if the Killers ever pulled off serious. I think they, like, you know, they either failed at being serious and were entertaining or they failed at being serious and they were turgid. But, like, yeah. you know, it's just, like, how well they failed. You know, which is again yeah. like when you know when I read these interviews where Brandon Flowers is talking about the band's legacy and how hard it was to write songs on for this new record, Wonderful, Wonderful, because of the weight of the Killers discography and how hard it is. Like, how are you going to top these great? You know, how are you going to top Battleborn and uh, Day and Age and all that? Um, when in fact, I, the thing I like about the Killers is their shamelessness and their fearlessness. You know, oh, yeah. the fact that they don't seem to be self-conscious about being totally ridiculous. I mean, to me, like another band I would compare them to is Muse, who might be the only mm-hmm. band that is sillier than the Killers. Um, yeah. And, and I am totally alone in defending Muse. I was actually listening to the last Muse record the other day, Drones. And I, I think I'm the only music critic on the planet that liked that record. It and it's not, <laughs> it's not very good. It's not very good. It's super entertaining. There's some like, I don't know. That's a whole other bag of worms. I shouldn't even go into that yet. But no, but I do think you're right. I think there is a, like I think when the killers fail in being serious, it's very endearing. Whereas you know, like and you mentioned Kings of Leon, and I think that's a band who just to me like is the pinnacle of charmlessness. Uh, just like you know, total out and out, you know, bland uh, kind of mediocrity. Uh, you know, you never get the sense that Kings of Leon are really reaching for the reaching for something further than, you know, the next payday. Whereas, you know, like, I think for a guy who has made a lot of money off of a few gigantic songs, I think Brandon Flowers really feels like he wants to prove something. And that's sweet. I don't think he ever is going to, unfortunately. But, you know, we, we can give him credit for trying, right? See, I, you know, I see this is the other thing I love about you, that you are splitting hairs between the Killers and Kings of Leon. Because I feel like <laughs> if you're going to buy into the Killers... <laughs> You got to buy into the Kings of Leon too. Like I again, like to me, like I always call Kings of Leon the real life Mouse Rat. Like Mouse right, Rat, right. Mouse Rat was Chris <laughs> Pratt's band on Parks and Recreation, and I feel like Kings yeah, of yeah. Leon works on that same level. Even though I, I do think the first couple of records weren't quite as ridiculous. Like once they get into yeah, the fine, Only yeah. by the Night, the Sex on Fire, and all that stuff, and then their their next record. Um, Come around sundown. That was the that was the one. I can't remember the single it was, but that's the one like where they're in the church, and they're surrounded by like African American children, and like there's the gospel choir that comes out, and it's like very, oh, yeah. it, it, it's like way way over the top, uh, sort of the like Messiah complex at that point, uh, which is like, dude, you're a rock band in twenty in 2010. Like you cannot have the Messiah complex <laughs> right. at this moment in history. Come on, you got to have some self awareness here. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, getting back to the Killers, um, and I like Day and Age, but I think that would be a th- the third spot for me. I think it is. I think the sure. records do get progressively worse as you go into their catalog. Um, I mean, it's funny because I've heard, because you know, like I said before, that there are Killers stands out there who will actually argue that the best record would have been Samstown if they had included some of the B-sides that are on Sawdust the B-sides compilation, you know, mm. that, 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 there's, that there were some B-sides that were left off that would have really made that record great. Like, I've heard that argument made on Twitter, too, um, among, like, the hardcore killers believers out there. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. I still have affection for Hot Fuzz, though. And, and I even like the second side. I, I know people tend to think that it falls off in the second half, but like Baby, I'm a Star and Midnight Show oh. and some of those songs, I like the, I like the second side. Um, and Sam's Town, I appreciate. I don't think it's a lost classic by any means. I think, it's, I think that record was unfairly maligned when it came out. And then, I agree with that, yeah. And then it ended up being overrated because people were trying to compensate for the bad reviews. Like, I would agree with that, too. You know, it's, like, it's a pretty good record. It's not a great record. It's not the worst record. Um, you know, When We Were Young, I think, is a great single. Um, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, but as far as The Killers being like a defining band, I think they were a popular band, but I don't, I don't know if they're going to actually... I think Beyond Mr. Brightside, that's a fine legacy for them, and, and I think yeah. that's where it will stay. That's fine. Like, like, you know, like, it's... Most bands don't get that lucky. There's exactly. There's a lot of bands out there, you know? I mean, think of, think of Imagine Dragons. <laughs> Are they going to get to it? Do they have, like, a Mr. Brightside? I'm not sure. I mean, Radioactive, maybe? I don't know. I guess... It's big, but is it, like, beloved? Like, like you know, and I, I'm only bringing them up because it's, like, you know, when you think of Vegas bands, you think of The Killers, and then you think of Imagine Dragons. And, you know, like... The Imagine, Dragon, Imagine Dragons never really captured a moment, whereas the Killers, you know, the Killers conjure is like a time and place for anybody that was alive during that time. So they've got that. They're lucky. I mean, I feel like with lucky Imagine guys. Dragons, it'll be like, oh, I remember hearing Radioactive in that one commercial or every <laughs> yeah, single commercial, like when I was watching the NBA playoffs. Like I remember <laughs> right. it was in every preview and, you know, commercial. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe... It, uh, on Twitter, if you guys are listening, anyone out there, if if if, if you have an Imagine Dragons era in your past, <laughs> let, let me know. I always feel like, oh, my guy Derek is uh, raising his hand. Sorry, I'm just, as the radio guy here in the room, I, I want to actually jump in on this. The a mo- moment for Imagine Dragons is happening right now. What's the um, moment? It's the song called Believer. Um, All right. Which is okay. a massive, massive song. And there's a, a second song. Uh, on this record, the second single called Thunder that is going to be equally massive. And I have a feeling that Imagine Dragons are going to wind up, I know it sounds weird because I don't think they're nearly as good as band, but they're going to wind up being remembered as bigger than either The Killers or The Strokes. See, I I love, okay, I've said so many things that Derek wanted to respond to on this podcast. I love that the first time he jumps in is to speak up for Imagine Dragons. (laughs) I know, I don't even like Imagine Dragons. (laughs) This is like, this Imagine Dragons slander will not stand. (laughs) They will be you huger know, than everybody. When we think of Imagine Dragons in 10 years, we're going to remember this moment on this podcast. It, it is, go. exactly. The moment their legacy changed, that these like two yeah. critics <laughs> who are on the internet too much and not listening to the radio <laughs> enough, they missed the boat <laughs> on Imagine Dragons. I love it. Um, all right. Well, hey, Larry, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I think, we've, I think we've summed it up on the killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great to be here again. It was a lot of fun. All right, man. All right, well, take care and have a good rest of your day, yeah. man. Great. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was me and Larry talking about the Killers and talking about a lot of, a lot of other bands and Derek getting in there defending Imagine Dragons. I love it. It's a three-way, a three-way debate about the importance of Imagine Dragons. Who knew that that would happen on the Celebration Rock podcast? We have made Celebration Rock history with this episode. I could not be prouder. Um, guys, I say this every week, but I mean it. Thank you for listening. You make this show possible. Without your support, we would not be here. So thank you so much for listening, for talking about the podcast, for leaving reviews on iTunes, for telling your friends about us, for talking about us on social media. 
uh, all these things enable us to keep the lights on and, and to keep talking about great music with all of you folks. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Um, this was a great episode. I had a really great time. I'm so glad <laughs> that we got to talk about the killers and Imagine Dragons and Kings of Leon and so many embarrassing rock bands. And who knows, maybe next week we'll even talk about a good band. Who knows? We'll, I guess we'll find out. Um, again, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been Celebration Rock. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>